Hello, and welcome to the Beyond Stewardship podcast. I'm your host, Dave Warners, one of the editors of Beyond Stewardship, New Approaches to Creation Care. Beyond Stewardship is available from Calvin Press at calvin.edu slash press and from major online retailers. The Beyond Stewardship podcast is a series of interviews with the chapter authors of Beyond Stewardship. My guest today is good friend and colleague from that other school to the west, <laughs> along the lakeshore, Steve Ballenfrediger, author of Chapter 6 in Beyond Stewardship, which he entitles From Stewardship to Earthkeeping, Why We Should Move Beyond Stewardship. Welcome, Steve. Good to be with you, Dave. All right. Now, I know you as a longtime friend. We go back a ways. Mm-hmm. And a colleague from Hope, and really as a mentor. Um, so why don't you introduce yourself a little more fully to our listeners? Okay. Well, I'm the Leonard and Marjorie Moss Professor of Reformed Theology at Hope College. That's a fancy title for an endowed chair. I teach in the religion department and also direct the environmental studies program at Hope. I'm a Hope graduate. A uh, little known fact, I was a math, computer science, physics geek as an undergraduate. Oh, I didn't know that. But I got a good liberal arts education mm-hmm. and uh, found my passion and interest really more in the humanities and philosophy and theology. So I spent 11 years in graduate school after graduating from Hope. I was a high school teacher and coach for a bit and then a youth pastor and then ended up two years in Toronto getting a master's in philosophy, four years in Los Angeles at Fuller Seminary, getting a master's of divinity and then an MA and PhD in religious studies at the University of Chicago. I've got six books. The most recent one will be out in a couple months called Earthkeeping and Character, Exploring a Christian Ecological Virtue Ethic. The other of the other books, the one probably most well known is For the Beauty of the Earth, Christian mm-hmm. Vision for Creation Care. Mm-hmm. All right, good, thank you. Now, um, to the book that we're talking about now, this Beyond Stewardship book, each chapter begins with a story. And I, and I know several of the other authors in this book, found your story quite captivating. It involves your interactions and discussions with a former student, who in your chapter you refer to as Mitch. Can you fill us a little bit more on the context of that encounter? Sure. In the spring of 2018, after finishing his third year at Hope College, Mitch uh, had the opportunity to take a May term course. At Hope, we have May term and June terms after the end of the academic year. There are four week-long courses. Student takes one course intensively, Mm -hmm. and my May term course is in upstate New York. So Mitch and 10 other students, it's the maximum number I can take is 11, enrolled in my ecological theology and ethics course, an upper-level religion course that I teach every year. This course, in addition to meeting on campus, uh, includes a nine or 10 day wilderness expedition in the Adirondack Mountains. We use Camp Fowler, a Christian camp in south central part of the park as our base of operations. We go whitewater rafting, spend four or five days canoeing and portaging those canoes. Mm -hmm. Solo day in the middle, the students are all by themselves, and then we backpack for four or five days on a 45-mile stretch of the famous Northville Lake Placid Trail. Oh. Students learn wilderness skills, they enhance their leadership ability, put into practice ideas about ecology, ethics, and theology. In short, the course combines, as Mitch put it, and I'm borrowing his words from his final paper, 
mm-hmm. Christian theology and ecology with hands-on full body learning. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the background to, right. uh, to the course. That's where the story came from. Yeah, so it's a theology course that's taught outdoors. Right. Yep. Uh, maybe a little like Jesus taught, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he knew a thing or two about teaching, including yeah. teaching outdoors. Yes. Oh, good. Now, Mitch is someone who brought a lot of questions to that trip, and he sort of was presented with some new connections that he hadn't thought of before. Can you talk a little bit about, about that, his perspective? Yeah, well, let me again just take a little bit. This is in the chapter, and I, I with his permission, included it. This is, these are his words from his final paper. Mm-hmm. He writes, on the van ride to Camp Fowler, I had a conversation with Professor Bama Prediger about the importance of this class and where caring for the earth fits into the Christian life. Although I grew up in the church, I'd never considered, let alone heard of earthkeeping, considered it as a responsibility for Christians. It was simply not talked about. I had heard the term stewardship, but was desperately trying to figure out what the role, quote, steward of creation meant in the Bible and church and worship. As we began, I'm continuing the quote here, our nine-day expedition, I started to discover answers to my questions in more ways than one. While practicing canoe strokes during the day and developing fire building and bear line throwing skills at night. And by the way, he was our best bear line thrower, you know, throw the rock up over the branch. I'll take this kid any day on every trip because he, he had that skill down. He writes, I gradually learned more about creation, the creator, and my place on the earth. Mm-hmm. Throughout the trip, we read a book called The Spiritual Field Guide. Not only did that book, I'm quoting him again, help me articulate the spiritual intellectual growth I was experiencing also as an essential catalyst for our group discussions at night around the campfire. One of the most important things the book stresses is how frequently earthkeeping is brought up in the Bible. Countless passages from Genesis to Job, Isaiah to Luke, Psalms to Revelation clearly showed me for the first time how caring for the earth is biblical and how important it is, end quote. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of Mitch's little autobiography as a result of uh, this course. Yeah, thanks a lot for, for reading that. I w- do you see a lot of students like Mitch? What's, what's your experience? I mean, not, not that you're old and grizzled, but you've been having- <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm getting old and grizzled, actually. I feel like I'm starting my 30th year teaching this year. Oh, my goodness. Well, sad to, you were 10 years old. Yeah, no. <laughs> sad to say, Mitch's story is, I think, quite common. Mm-hmm. Many people grow up in the church but hear virtually nothing about caring for the earth. And what they do here, the term stewardship, for example, is often unclear and unhelpful. I, I've taught probably a hundred or more Sunday school, adult Sunday school classes over the years, different churches all over the country. And I almost always ask them at the beginning, and they're always on, on stewardship or earthkeeping. Mm-hmm. I almost always ask for a show of hands at the beginning of the class, how many of you have heard a sermon on stewardship in the last year? Every hand goes up. Uh-huh. Then I ask, for how many of you was that sermon on stewardship about caring for creation? All hands go down. Uh-huh. That, the, the sermon on stewardship in, invariably is a sermon about tithing, about giving money to the church. Right. Very, very seldom is it a sermon uh, about caring for creation or earthkeeping. So, and I find this true with most college students, many of whom have a real interest in 
caring for creation, but they very rarely heard, whether it's the term stewardship or anything else, they very rarely heard about that in their churches if they're, yeah. if they're kids from a church. So there's, um, there's one limitation, if I could use that word, that you've identified in using the term stewardship to apply it to creation care. In your chapter, you go through a number of other limitations um, that I would just encourage the readers to pay attention to when they read through your chapter. Maybe what, where I'd like to go now is you, you present this term earthkeeping. Right. So um, let's talk a little bit about um, why you think earthkeeping is a better way to characterize uh, our relationship to the creation. Well, quite simply, I'll keep this brief. Um, the thesis of almost every book I've written is that care for creation is integral to the Christian faith. Mm. And my argument I make in the chapter of this book is that that commitment is best or at least well described by the term earthkeeping for two reasons. It's a better word to capture the biblical vision of our relationship to the creation and our calling to care for the world of which we are an integral part. And it, I think, provides a more accurate understanding of this biblical vision and offers a richer image for explaining why we act the way we do, or at least the way we should act the way we do in caring for our home planet. Um, it helped Mitch better, and I'm not going to read this quote, but he, he talks about how it helped him better understand the biblical story uh -huh. and more effectively explain to his family and friends his own desire to care for creation. Mm -hmm. That's sort of in a in a nutshell, my argument, and I provide a much longer version of that in the chapter. So it leads us into a better place. It leads us into a better relationship, um, a fuller maybe sense of our role. So, yeah. Well, you know, the Bible. I'm not going to go into details here, but the Bible talks about us as Adam because we're made from the Adama. Yeah. Genesis. One and two, we're earth creature. Really? We're humans from the humus, and that's who we are. And we're called not only to have dominion, that's the Genesis 1 text, I get that, but we're called to avad and shamar, Genesis 2.15, serve and protect. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, both of those sides of who we are and what we're called to do need to be emphasized. Often in the past, Christians have only looked at the dominion stuff, not the serve and protect stuff. They've only talked about you know, how we're, we're souls and bodies, but actually that's not what Genesis teaches. There is no word in Hebrew for soul. Mm. So we need to get our sort of our biblical anthropology straight, who we are and what we're called to do. And I think earthkeeping is a better term to do that, as I've argued is a richer and, and a fuller term rather than stewardship, especially given that stewardship is so misunderstood are understood in only that way of giving time, talents, treasures to the church. Mm -hmm. And you know, for some people it connects, but for many people, especially the younger generation, college students, that's not a, a term that communicates well for them. Yeah. Let me, um, let me just take off on that a little bit, Steve. When you are interacting with college students, I don't know if you've experienced this, but I just came back from a summer teaching a course up at Osabel Institute, where I know yeah. you have. Um, served as well. And um, I was struck this time, especially by students who were voicing frustration, even anger, um, towards their parents, towards our generation, I guess. Yeah. 
Yeah. The church for not taking uh, climate change more seriously. Right. Uh, and in some ways, I sense that some of these students were were almost ready to leave the church because they're so frustrated. Um, yeah. Do you encounter students like that? And, and if so, what sort of advice do you give them? Yeah, it's a great question. And I do encounter students like that um, who, um, who leave the church because they see the church not addressing key social and environmental issues of our day, whether it's climate change or species extinction, other creation yeah. issues. Uh, my advice is uh, take this class, you know, go, go to Asabel. Take this class, meaning since I'm at Hope, you know, classes from the people who teach what you teach at Calvin, Greg Murray, Kathy Wynette Murray, two of our ecologists. You know, learn more about the home planet and how we can better take care of it. Take Roger Nemus' environmental sociology class. Take my earth and ethics course. Read this book. I just finished a bunch of books this summer. I'm going to be recommending to students. Uh, get involved with the Green Team, which is the nickname of our Campus Sustainability Advisory Committee, which has students on it. Become part of Green Hope, which is the name of the student organization mm -hmm. college that's dedicated and devoted to caring for creation. I just got an email from a colleague. We've got about a dozen students who will be interns this year. They're Hope Advocates for Sustainability, HAS for short. Uh -huh. And, you know, Michelle said, I'm really excited about working with these students. So there are opportunities. Right. I know there are at Calvin, as there are at Hope, at virtually every college university for students to get involved. Yeah. And I find students self-report that, that that helps them. Getting involved in some way, even if it's, quote, seems small, yeah. helps them overcome the despair that they often feel overcoming them when they start reading up on ecological degradations like climate change. Yeah. That helps yeah. them, it gives them hope. Right, I think uh, this has come up with a couple other interviews that I've done, a couple of the other podcasts, the importance of recognizing that we are not facing these challenges as independent individuals. Right. That we, <clears throat> we engage these challenges as communities who care. And, right. And we, we can testify uh, to each other uh, about different signs of hope that we've experienced and seen and, um, and not let each other get too discouraged because it, it can be overwhelming at times. And yes, I think that's really important. We're not in this alone. Mm -hmm. And whether it's on a campus or in a church or in your neighborhood, there are lots of other people. You may not yet be aware of them, but lots of other people who care about these issues. Yeah. Now, I do, I do want to highlight, you mentioned it earlier, but um, you wrote a very important book published back in 2001 initially, that's entitled For the Beauty of the Earth. And for listeners who are really passionate about creation care who have not read that book yet, I personally want to give it a plug. <laughs> Thank that, you. That book was really formative for me. I read it as a young faculty member. And man, it just really grabbed me. And so I guess I wanted to just publicly thank you for that book and uh, let our listeners know about it. You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah. Now it's gone through a second publication. Right. Yeah. It originally was published in 2001. Let me plug a couple other books because it was part of a, a visionary series of books called Theology uh, Engaging Culture, uh, co-edited by uh, Bill Durness and, and Rob Johnston, two friends of mine, both of whom 
uh, I think you're both retired now, but they're close to it, but they teach at Fuller Seminary. Mm-hmm. And um, the first book in the series was Rob's book on film called Real, R-E-E-L, Spirituality, Theology and Film and Dialogue. It too went into a second edition because it was so widely read. A really good book on theology and film. And Bill has a great book, Visual Faith, Art, Theology, and Worship in Dialogue. There's Resounding Truth, Christian Wisdom in the World of Music by internationally renowned scholar Jeremy Begbie. And I'm going to give a plug here to Jamie Skillen. His father, James W. Skillen, did the book on politics called The Good of Politics uh, in this wonderful series. So my book was originally is number two, and especially because chapter two has a lot of scientific data on ecological issues. Uh, after a number of years, uh, the editors asked me to do a revised mm-hmm. second edition, and that's the book that was done, uh, published in 2010, okay. and has, you know, been out. But again, I want to say my book, I was happy to see as part of this wonderful series designed mm-hmm. to help Christians think about all these aspects of our lives, whether it's film or politics or pop culture. And I think there are nine or 10 books now total in that series. But yeah, the book, my book has been used a lot by people that Christian and other colleges and universities, and it's been gratifying to see um, it's been useful and uh, important for a lot of people. Yeah, it's been very influential. Now, it, it is hard, as I think back on this, to believe that it's been 20 years since. <laughs> I know, you're making me feel old here, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, but now, as you reflect um, back to when you wrote that, not so much on students and how maybe they've changed, but have you seen that faith community communities in general are more engaged in creation care? Today uh, I, think, I think it's a mixed bag. In some ways, yes. I mean, back when I was writing that book on my very first sabbatical in 1998 or 99, I forget, I was involved with evangelicals, um, um, environmental, um, evangelicals or environmental, Creation Care, I forget the name there, the Evangelical Environmental Network, that was it, mm-hmm. which was part of a larger consortium of Roman Catholics and Protestants. That was very exciting to be a part of that group. That group hasn't met much, not much going on there, but there are lots of things going on uh, in churches and other organizations. I think just about in where we live here in West Michigan, there's West Michigan Creation Care, a bunch of churches, mm-hmm. uh, uh, people in churches who are interested in uh, earthkeeping, creation care. In my neck of the woods here, Eighth Day Farm, biblical reference there is a local um, community-supported agriculture, CSA group. We're members. There are hundreds of people here who, who are. You've got the, the biology bio, uh, forest preserve on campus. That's been there for a year. I think of Camp Fowler, where I do my May term up in upstate New York, uh, which is a church camp run by the Reformed Church in America. You know, I, I can think of a lot of examples of uh, organizations, places, people um, who are very committed to caring for creation, to earthkeeping, mm-hmm. in spite of the fact that there's still a lot of apathy in churches. I'm scheduled to teach a couple of adult science school classes at different churches this fall, and I'm be curious to see how many people show up mm-hmm. and what their level of interest is or level of frustrations. So I think my sense is there's been a lot of progress, but there's also a very long way to go to get local churches and church bodies, denominations, and so on um, 
doing more yeah. about those keeping. Lots of good work yet to be done. Yeah. Hey, um, let, me, let me also ask this. I, I can envision someone sort of criticizing your chapter or maybe your take on things by saying that, yeah, that Baumer Predator guy, <laughs> he's calling for us to um, let go of our tight grasp of dominion in the sense that we're in control and try to come to terms with the fact that we're embedded in the creation, that we are part of creation and that we are sort of a creature among lots of other creatures. Um, is there a danger that by recognizing our interrelationship with the rest of creation that we will lose our sense of being special and being the image bearers of God? How, how would you respond to that kind of criticism? Well, that's a good question. Um, but I think we have to come to terms, Christians, to the fact that we are creatures. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches. Mm. We often, in our common way of thinking, exempt ourselves as humans from the category creature. Mm. But we're creatures. Yeah. And we were simply made by God. Read, you know, read Genesis 1 and 2 again. And I think, again, we're humans from the humus. We're Adam from the Adama. There's so much there in the text. But that, that doesn't mean that we're the same. We have this, the text also says, we have this feature called being made in God's image. Hmm. Made a mago day, and of only humans is it said that are made in God's image. The problem is we, we've interpreted that narrowly as dominion equals domination. Hmm. That's what it means to be made in God's image. That's not what the Bible teaches, but that's a common view. Hmm. So I think if we pay more attention to scripture, and the Christian tradition, I mean, the doxology says, praise God, all creatures here below. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, us. yeah, yeah and that includes all mm -hmm. kinds of other creatures. Think Psalm 104, right? Not just human creatures. Mm -hmm. raises the question, how are we acting, we humans, in such a way to allow other creatures in their own creaturely way to praise God? Mm. So, yeah, there is, a, I think, a, a, a fear, anxiety some people have that if we emphasize human creatureliness too much, somehow that negates our human distinctiveness. Mm -hmm. But they're both in the Bible, and mm -hmm. we need to pay attention to both. So we, you know, we shouldn't either forget that we're made in God's image and somehow we're just the same as every other creature. On the other hand, we shouldn't so emphasize our being made in God's image that we forget our creatureliness. Right. And as other essays, I'll plug some of our colleagues and friends in this fine book, emphasize this creatureliness, this, the commonality that we share with all other creatures of God on this, our home planet. So that's a feature, I think, that it's just there in the science and the anthropology and the history, but it's also in scripture. Yeah, I like your phrase, we need a more ba balanced anthropology. Yeah, I, that makes a lot of sense. Thanks, that's a really nice answer. Um, earlier, you read a little bit from your chapter there, uh, from Mitch's story, actually. Right. Are there any other sections in your chapter that you'd like to read that you're sort of hoping to make sure that the, 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 the listeners catch? Yeah, here's, um, here's another section from my chapter where I'm, I'm quoting Mitch. I mean, he, okay. he says it better than I can. <laughs> I think this is near the end of his, his 
25 page paper. Mm -hmm. I'm quoting Mitch again. Like most Christians, I grew up with the belief that human beings are separate from and elevated above the rest of creation. My lack of serious regard for my ecological impact largely came from my lack of care, which I can now see ultimately came from my lack of understanding of my role within creation. A careful reading of Genesis indicates that human beings should properly assume a status right alongside trees and birds. Humans are created on the sixth day and God makes them in conjunction with the wild animals. Humans do not have their own day. You know, God assigns them the task of dominion. They are like the rabbits, rocks, and rivers. Wonderful alliteration there. Mm -hmm. Like the rabbits, rocks, and rivers, small parts of God's creation. I'm continuing on now. One more little paragraph here. The Bible clearly shows humans as part of something much bigger than themselves. And when Christians enter into the body of Christ, they're stepping into something much bigger than a local collection of fellow religious folk. Little do they know that they're joining not just a body of people, but a living creation, becoming one with a living, breathing planet that glorifies its creator every second. Hmm. Paul tells us plain in Colossians 1, 15 through 17, he's quoting the scripture now, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Mm -hmm. Very nice. Yeah, I hope you gave him an A. Yeah, he, he, well, I didn't give him. You know how that works. He earned it. Pleasure to have him and his 10, ten yeah. friends on that May term trip, and reading the papers was really a delight for me. What a, what a great context for teaching and for learning. Like, that sounds really really important and rewarding well i try to take my students outside as much as i can i know you do too and it comes with your territory you're teaching them plants you want to see, you want them to see the plants and i know you've worked hard over the years to cultivate a more diverse mm -hmm. uh, the plants on your campus but i i take my students out in the middle of our campus is the pine grove named after the white pine pinus strobus michigan state oh, okay. tree uh -huh. and you know, I have students who, they walk through that pine grove in four years, probably, you know, a thousand or so times. And if they ever look up from their smartphones, they might see a, uh -huh. a hawk or two, or, you know, most of them don't even know the trees. So mm -hmm. one of my goals is mm -hmm. for, from earth and ethics, for God earth ethics courses I teach, that they at least know a dozen trees by the time they leave my class, including all the trees, not just the, not just the uh, pine trees, but mm -hmm. the, all the trees in the pine grove. So. What a great connection to Deborah Reinstra's chapter on the importance of, of uh, learning about the creation. Yeah. In order to yeah. really care about it, we have to know some things about it, least of which right. is just the names of the creatures we share as places with. Well, one other comment about the book. I was uh, not entirely unsurprised, but delighted at how, this was your experience too, I think, just through working through our meetings and the chapters of the book, how much interconnectedness there actually is that wasn't sort of forced upon us but mm -hmm. I went through the book I just found found connections with my chapter to Kyle's and Clarence's and Jamie and Becky and Kathy Deb almost everyone every one of the other chapters connects in some way with something I'm trying to say in my chapter so yeah and um, I was going to ask you a little bit about that too I, I haven't formally gotten back to you about the whole process. I mean, we made you come to Calvin. <laughs> 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 uh, 
for three days in June last summer, and then again for three days in August. Right. And um, and so you invested a lot of time in this place. It wasn't just like we gave you an assignment, Steve, write us a chapter, we want to put it in our book. But there was yeah. a lot of collaborative interaction. And um, what I hear you saying, don't want to put words in your mouth, but that you found that fruitful. Yeah, I think the fact that it's, it was face-to-face, I mean, I'm not a neo-Luddite anti-technology, we're using it right now, obviously, but face-to-face, uh, multidisciplinary, mm-hmm. natural sciences, social sciences, humanities, and there was that much communal time together, I think it's, it's like my May term. I live with these students for eight or nine days. We sleep in the same tents, we eat the same food. There's just a getting to know people mm-hmm. uh, in, a, in a deeper way than simply meeting in class or having a conference, you know, for a day or two. So, and the fact that you and Matt set such a wonderful tone and atmosphere, you had a clear but flexible process. Again, many disciplines, communal time, and, and we didn't just do academic work. Mm-hmm. You know, we were, um, you know, talking about text and critiquing each other, but we were, you know, clearing out invasive species, planting right. trees, eating good food, praying together. I mean, we put it all this other stuff too that yeah. was, I think, a really important part of why it was not only fun, but, but relatively successful. I mean, yeah. so far, we hope we get a big readership. Maybe that's the biggest indication of success, but even independent of that, we had a lot of fun doing something important and producing this book. Yeah. Well, you were, you were a really important part of the whole process too, Steve. I really appreciated your spirited attitude and willingness to engage others, both with your own insights, but also you were very gracious in the way you received uh, feedback from other people too. So thank you for the, the wonderful role model you set and for the country. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, one, one maybe final question. What, what are some projects that you are working on now? Where's your brain headed these days? And um, if people are interested in, in reading more of your contributions, where can they go? Well, I'll answer that last question first. Um, you can, the easiest thing I just found, I, that was a question I didn't know the answer to. So oh. <laughs> the easiest thing is just to put my name, Roma uh, hyphen Prediger, into Google. And what pops up is a, a link to my publisher, a couple publishers, a link uh-huh. to where I am on Hope's you know, website, which is a very long URL, hope.edu slash directory slash people slash Boma Prediger Stephen. You know, you don't want to type all that in. Just yeah. Google my name and that pops up. I think it's the second one. So, and on that website, the official Hope website is lots of other information. So that's probably the easiest place to go. But for the books, you know, Baker Academic, Erdman's, et cetera, has their websites have information on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm currently working on a book collaborating. Well, the book, my next book, um, Earthkeeping and Character, Exploring a Christian Ecological Virtue Ethic, will be published by Baker Academic. It's sort of a sequel to For the Beauty of the Earth, actually. Okay. It'll be out the end of this year, early 2020. I worked on that book for about 10 years, and it's nice to see it finally out. I actually have a pre-publication copy that I used when I was teaching June with a friend in Yosemite National Park and um, so it's good to see the thing actually hold it in my hand even though it's not officially published yet mm-hmm. but I'm now working on a, a co-editing a book called Virtue Vice and Eco Flourishing mm-hmm. a book on ecological virtue 
philosophy and uh, ethics, and it's a collaborative volume. We've got about a dozen people so far from a variety of disciplines, some of whom you will know. We're also looking at um, inviting a few more. Again, natural scientists, social scientists, humanities folks. And the co-editor and I, I just actually uh, completed a grant request last week, he and I, to a large foundation to hopefully fund a gathering of all the collaborators in Yosemite National Park wow. for next July. Uh -huh. So if you're interested, uh -huh. talk to me, I can get you an invite. No, it'd be a conference, a small conference, the collaborators with some undergraduates and some grad students or postdocs um, to basically, I'm, I'm stealing a page from your book, basically have a three or four day gathering to work on the book. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping then for those who are able and willing also to do some backcountry hiking in mm -hmm. this. So it'd be a combined um, maybe six or seven day gathering of people on this book. The, the question is, okay, we, we know what duties, what rights, what, what uh, obligations, what consequences, you know, are important when it comes to caring for creation. The fundamental question, though, in my view, is what virtues, what habitual dispositions do we need uh, to cultivate individually on our college campuses, in our churches, in our homes, um, to make us better earth keepers, to uh -huh. focus who we are, not so much on what we need to do, because the doing will flow from the being, the conduct from our character. That's sort of the assumption in my new book and in this book that I'm working on together uh -huh. on virtue, vice, and eco-flourishing. So that's the next project, and we're already sort of well on our way um, um, on those lines. Uh, hopefully we'll get funding for this uh, gathering. If we don't, the book will still go forward. I think it'll be a longer process to get it out. but. Uh, Anyway, that's what I'm up to these days. So is it, is it um, correct to, to summarize by saying that you're really working at questions of how to change people's hearts, right? Yeah. Really Mutual disposition to act. Yeah. How do we do that? And we all, I mean, we all do this sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, I presume, you and your colleagues at Calvin, and as I at Hope, we have policies on, against plagiarism. Sure. We're trying to cultivate certain dispositions right. in our students and extinguish other dispositions. And there's cultivate virtues, extinguish vices, as we are in our own lives. Right. That involves practicing certain habits, involves emulating certain role models. There's a whole, mm -hmm. this goes back to Plato and Aristotle, you know, who had a list of cardinal virtues. The church has a list of seven cardinal virtues. Mm -hmm but we lost um, a lot of thinking about virtue theory in the last couple hundred years, even though, again, in our churches, our homes, our institutions, if we think about it, we're all about cultivating certain character traits. Yeah. yeah. It's just we haven't given as much thought to that when it comes to Christians oh, wow. and ecological virtues mm -hmm. vices. So, so that's uh, what I think we need to think more about. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. It sounds like really important work, Steve. I commend you for taking it on. And I'd love to pursue possibilities of being involved myself. It sounds really exciting. Okay, well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Beyond Stewardship podcast. Thank you again, Steve. And thank you for all that you are doing to advance creation care. Thank you. It's my pleasure. All right. Goodbye, everyone. 
Beyond Stewardship is available from Calvin Press at calvin.edu press and from major online retailers. Thank you.